Yeah, but since you're in the battle, I hope you're taking that very seriously. We are in the middle of a war. Um, the national news unveiled some reality of that this last week. Russia invaded the Ukraine or has taken, put soldiers in and taken over the capital of Ukraine. And if you think that doesn't make a difference, you should read the prophetic utterances of Ezekiel 38 and 39. They make it clear that Satan is on the move. And uh, I fully anticipate in my lifetime the Lord's coming back to win that battle ultimately. But the reality is even the political powers of the world are making it clear that we're in a battle. And the battle is not with nation to nation or political powers or political parties. The battle is with the evil one. That was driven home to me this week when um, yesterday I got a text from someone very dear to me in our extended family in a marriage of 40 years has just split. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of losing marriages to the face of the evil one. Just weary of that. That's a good place for an amen. amen. God intends them to last forever, and I know there are all kinds of human reasons, but the reality is they fail and fall because of the influence of the evil one in this present world and in our lives personally, and it touches every family. But I think Satan does things physically to people. I honestly believe that. He did it to Job, and I believe he is at work. There are just unusual deaths and physical battles going on right now in our own membership, and as you know, as I've been transparent and open in our own families. By the way, the one who's separated in our family is not Elaine from Larry. She's been gone for three weeks tomorrow and I want to go out and try to be a help to her. Frankly, she's pretty spent right now and I'd appreciate your prayer support and it's up in the air whether she'll be able to come back with me next week or not. But uh, appreciate that prayer support. But I have little doubt right now that Satan is at work in our own personal family and I think that is true of all of us almost all the time and we're seldom really aware of who's behind it all and so i've come today to say to you please 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 take this series seriously the evil one is trying to bring us down and you of all churches should be well aware that the evil one is firing evil darts fiery wicked darts at you and me personally, but also at us collectively. And watch out for them. Is there hope? That's the question. By the way, the evil one is called Satan. Are you aware that that's just a title and not a name? The name originally given him was Lucifer of old. That's his name, but the title he has right now among other titles, is Satan, which means in the Hebrew, the adversary. And he rebelled against God in heaven, became God's adversary long ago. And you may not be aware of this, but he 
called or drew to himself, and it's amazing how rebellion attracts, but he drew to himself one-third of the heavenly bodies, namely angels. One-third of them. We don't know how many there are, but there are enough angels to take care of all of us with the two-thirds that are left. So that means that a host of heavenly angels were kicked out of heaven with Satan when he rebelled. And on this earth and in the heavenlies, he and they are the same things that they were there, the adversaries of God. And therefore, they are the adversaries of anyone who is a God follower. Now, stay with me on this. The apostle opened the book of Ephesians by saying to us, you are a battalion of God, an army of God, and you're a member of that army by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So by God's grace we've entered this battle and we joined this army that belongs to the Lord. Then he goes on to say, when you join that army and have experienced as a God follower the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you've experienced that grace, then you begin to pursue a life of righteousness, which simply means a life that is going after, hard pressed toward pursuing with great passion what you ought to be. And the question is, what should I be? What ought I to be and you? And as soldiers of the cross, we ought to be holy. We ought to be united. We ought to be loving. We ought to be light. And we ought to be full of wisdom. All of that is what Christ was, and that is righteousness. So if God, uh, the adversary, the devil, opposed Christ and all he was, then he will oppose all of those who are pursuing all that Christ was and ought to be with their own lives. And I would suggest to you, it might be a good thing to take a hard look at your soul and mind and heart and make certain of your salvation because if you are not oppressed or attacked or do not have any sense ever that the evil one is at work in your life, it may well mean you don't belong to that army. And I want to call you and encourage you to make sure that you belong to that army today. You've accepted the grace of God because he offers it to everyone. Amen? Now, having said that, the question is, since he is press, pressing hard against us, do we have any hope? Can we win? And the answer is absolutely because of everything we've been looking at, every specific piece of armor that he provides for us to win in this battle. And I'd like you to see that piece of armor for today that we're looking at in verse 16. Back in verse 14, the challenge begins with this one mandate that carries through every verse through verse 20. And that command is stand. Stand above all, verse 16, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That's the part of the paragraph we want to unpackage today. It is your hope. The shield of faith. It is your hope. 
against the evil one. Would you ask God to help you take this seriously? I don't think this series ought to be taken lightly, but soberly, with all diligence, pursuing every single piece of this armor that God's provided. Join me in asking for the grace to do that. My Father, as we unpackage this verse today, we need your help to understand what it means to take up the shield of faith without which we cannot quench the fiery darts of the evil one. We will fail in this battle without understanding this piece of armor above all. So open our minds and hearts that we may grasp its truth. Father, it isn't just for me individually or any individual here that the shield of faith needs to be picked up. It's not just for our sakes personally. But as we'll see in a moment, it's also because my brother in Christ, my family, my church family, people around me who are Christ followers, they need me to stand shoulder to shoulder with them with my shield held high to help protect those who are behind me. Father, I pray that we'll have a sense of the need to do that today. Open our eyes so that we can behold wondrous things out of this law, this your word, this your truth, that will help us in this great battle we're in. Help us to be serious and pay attention to it today. In Jesus' name, amen. The very first word of this sentence that describes all these pieces of armor we've gone over every week is the word stand. And it's the original word, Hebrew or Greek word, histemi, which means more than just to learn to stand erect. It means to be as a strong soldier standing firm. In other words, to be able to hold your ground. And as I've said every week in this series, I bring it to you again and we'll continue till we complete this study. And it is this, there is absolutely no reason to lose in this battle. Why? Because it opens with that 10th verse and that great statement in the beginning of the paragraph that says, Be strong, catch it, in the, say it class, Lord, and in the power of his might. Three words used there, strength, power, and might. And they're essentially the same which speak to us of the power that God has to, and that he offers to us in this conflict. And so a soldier, I don't go out just having exercised my muscles. I go out having received to myself the very power of God. Therefore, I can uh, irrefutably say without fear of successful contradiction, there is no reason for me or you to lose in this battle because God has made his power available to me. Amen? Now, having said that, he says, stand above all. And I want you to see that in the negative sense and the positive because it will help you understand what he's saying. Negatively, it doesn't mean that this piece of the armor that you're to take up 
uh, you can leave the other pieces of the armor behind, but you can't leave this one behind. There is no challenge anywhere in this text. You've heard it already several times. It's stated twice in the opening and in the closing. Take up the whole armor of God, and in the closing, having done all, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. So there's no indication in this phrase, above all, take this shield of faith, meaning you can leave the others out. He is not implying that whatsoever. But positively, he is saying this. You will never win in this battle. In fact, you will lose every time you go out to battle without this one piece of armor. And if you plan on losing, just plan on leaving this piece of armor behind. That's the whole point. And what is that piece that is so indispensable that I'll lose? Every morning I get up at home, if I don't put on this or pick up this piece of armor and, and uh, lay hold of it, if I leave my home, when I get out of bed, if I don't pick it up, then what happens to me under the roof that I live in before I even have breakfast? The evil one has a chance to take me down. What happens if I move out in my car in the icy, snowy Michigan weather and I don't lay hold of this shield? I fall every time. You crazy Michigan drivers, you just make me sin every time I get behind the wheel. You understand we do fall in our heads and mindsets and attitudes and hearts when we don't lay hold of the shield. And so, you come to church if you don't walk in the doors without the shield. You think the evil one ever enters these doors? Is this where we come to get away from him? No, there are still battles that we have with him inside here. Why? Because we're here. And he attacks those followers who are trying to become all that God wants them to be and they ought to. So here's the challenge. Above all, you must take this one, not that you can leave others behind, but you must lay hold of this one or you will lose in the battle no matter where you go. So here's the challenge. Above all, take the shield of faith. I want to talk about the shield for a second. Here is a first century replica of the Roman soldiers, the first century Roman soldier's shield. It's about two and a half feet wide, about four feet tall. It's something he can hide behind that helps protect him from fiery darts that the enemy hurls his way. So it's a great protection, impenetrable. It's made of wood. Now, if you're thinking ahead at all, you're saying, wait a minute. If it's made of wood and the enemy throws at us or shoots toward us fiery darts or arrows, then how is it that the flame does not destroy the wood? It is because the wood is covered with leather. Well, doesn't leather burn? Yeah, leather burns, but this is what the first century Roman soldier did when he's called to battle. He picks up his, puts all his armor on, picks up his shield and goes over to the water tank and dunks, saturates that leather and that shield coated with its leather in water so that when the fiery dart hits it, the flame is put out because it's soaked in water and it cannot burn the wood that covers it. 
And there's so much allegory that's in it. There's something more you need to know. It's not just that you as a soldier are protected as you hold your shield. You are protecting others as well when you hold that shield. That's why they are put close together and standing side by side. And you can't see them but it, in this image. But there would be soldiers, maybe 80 or 100 of them in a row, who are side by side hiding behind the shield. And then behind them would be a second row, only they are not kneeling behind the shield as those in the front row. They are crouching up a little higher. And they raise their uh, shield a bit higher than those who are kneeling. And then a third row, there would be men who were standing. And as they stand, they raise their shield up higher to cover their heads and all that they can cover while standing. What is it that the back row depends on? If I'm in the back row, I'm depending on the guy in front of me having his shield up. And if I'm in the second row, I'm depending on the guy in front of me having his shield up. Otherwise, I am not impenetrable. I can be attacked, specifically brought down by the fiery darts. If you are not holding your shield in place and the one behind you and the one behind you and so on. And also not only depth-wise but breadth-wise. Because side by side, especially those in the middle are less vulnerable because they have not only their shield up but the one next to them has theirs up. If you don't see the picture in that, then you're sleeping. You getting it? I depend on others. And the weight of this goes way beyond what I can lay on you today. I don't know how to tell you how strong I feel about this. The health of others in this battle depends on me and it depends on you those behind us those beside us those who are with us in battle I can't tell you how much I value you and I want to call you to value every single additional member and all the members of this flock and all who faithfully attend I defy you to find a membership role in the Bible. It's not about whose name's written down. It's about who has the shield up and is standing next to me and behind me and in front of me. Are you with me? So it's this whole idea of a shield behind which we hide. But it goes further than that because it's not just a shield behind which we hide. It's all wrapped up in what the kind of shield we have. It's called the shield of faith. And the word faith, please get this. The Greek lexicons make it clear. The word faith means committed to truth with fervor. And there's a word you don't hear much anymore. Who in the world uses the word fervor? Well, that's the Greek lexicons use it. So there's a huge help, right? What does that mean? It means this, if I'm committed to truth, it means, first of all, I'm saturated in the faith, which is itself the body of truth. We know it as the faith, the body of truth that we believe in. 
For us who are Christ's followers, it begins with this body of truth that Christ died for us on Calvary's cross to give us a relationship with God and make us soldiers in that army of his followers of him. That's where it all begins. And then truth is built upon that gospel and that good news. And it's that whole body of faith we hold in our hands called the Bible. And so the truth has major role in our battle against the enemy because we are told to pick up the faith, the truth, the shield, which is the Word of God. And by the way, it's also the Spirit of God who teaches us the Word of God. Watch this. Often in Scripture, the word water refers to the Holy Spirit as well as to the Word of God and just reinforces what I've come to believe after 45 years of almost daily studying the Word of God. And it's this, you cannot separate the Spirit of God from the Word of God. He is the Spirit of my emotions. No, He's not. He is the Spirit of warm fuzzies. No, it's not. I've told you that may be last night's chili moving in me. He is the Spirit of John 14, 15, 16, 17. He's the spirit of truth. And so the Holy Spirit is this being who is all wrapped up in this shield of mine because he saturates me in the truth. He helps me understand it and know it and lay hold of it. And it becomes my defense, what he has taught me. It becomes my shield between me and the enemy. It protects me. But it's not just a matter of saturation. It's also a matter of activation. I'm not just saturated with truth that's taught to me by the Spirit of God. I am, my beloved, called to activate that truth. And it's a step of faith to activate it. And to turn against Satan in the heat of the battle... The very truth that I've saturated myself with. In other words, I don't just stand behind the Word of God. Hear it well. I don't just stand behind the Word of God and my beloved, it becomes my defense. I turn the Word of God against the arrows that are hurled at me and the evil one that has shot them from his bow. And it becomes not just my defense as I crouch behind it, but get it, it becomes my very weapon, offensive weapon, that I throw at him. So you understand the whole mindset that defines faith as the Greek lexicons. It is my commitment to the truth which I hide behind with fervor and passion and power that I thrust at the evil one. I don't just crouch and hide. I take the battle to him with the word of God. You get it? I've reminded you of what Christ did often. It's a good place to stop and remind you another time in this series. Jesus was told, you haven't eaten for 40 days and nights. God doesn't want you to starve to death. Turn this stone to bread. Sounds good. 
God wants us to eat, right? I just lost half the crowd. You're thinking about lunch. What is it that he wants us to do? Eat? Turn stone to bread? Is that what he wanted Christ to do? No, that's an allurement of the evil one. It's a fiery dart. And what did Christ say? He didn't just hide behind the word. He threw it in the face of the one who had thrown the dart at him. He said to the evil one in this conflict, this adversarial battle, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he prefaced it with, it is written. The word that was written became his defense, but it also became, and people who have taught us over the years that there are no, except for the sword, there are no offensive weapons alluded to in the armor that we have, it's not true. The shield of faith is also a weapon to push against the enemy and know you can bring him down. There is power in the written word of God. Use it against him. That's what we're called to do. Now i got to pick up the pace. Use the word against the fiery darts which leads to a, a question. What are things that I should be watching out for that clearly come from the evil one? I want to take you back to a mother in the Old Testament. A mother of a king. A king who wrote those wonderful words in the 30th proverb, Proverbs 30. It is those words about the kind of woman to watch for my son, she said, look for a lady whose price is far above rubies. God gave me two very close women like that in my life. One, my mother, who is now with the Lord. And another, my wife, who was separated from me for three weeks. I can't tell you how many times I've sat my sons down and said to them, before they were married. Look for women like that. It's a great thing to watch for. But before this loving mother said to her king's son, her son who would be anointed king, look for this wonderful woman whose price is far above rubies. He said to, she said to him, you've got to watch out for some things and these things can be categorized. How do you say that word? Thank you. As darts from the evil one. Fiery darts. Watch out. Not watch for. Watch out for. Look out. They'll bring you down. They'll pierce in the cracks of the armor. If you're not hiding behind the shield. And know how to deal with these. You don't have a handle on the word. And can't give response to them. You will fall every time. These things aren't talked about much anymore in evangelical circles, but they're part of the Bible. This mom says, watch out for this fiery dart. Read it, class. Again, church. Again. Wine, not W-H-I-N-E. 
we're Baptists and are good at that. But wine or strong drink. For years I preached and taught that the word of God said, Thou shalt not drink wine or strong drink. And then in the most formative, formative years of my life, which were not my childhood, but my years parenting teenagers, one of them said to me, Dad, where's that in the Bible? You say it says thou shalt not. And I said, well, I'm sure it's there. Let me go find it. It's in, in no, it's not there. It's in, it, and it wasn't there. Didn't say thou shalt not. Now, I know God knows more than all the rest of us know. So this next statement means absolutely nothing, but I wish it was in the Bible. I would love to point to that verse that says thou shalt not. It doesn't. But please hear it well. Be very careful with this whole concept. It's one Satan is used to destroy families time and time again if you don't get it. This mom says, you can't take it, my son, because you're a king. And as a king, it will affect your judgment even a little bit. Let me throw this out. My beloved, if it affects a king's judgment, it does no injustice to Scripture to say he's made of the same stuff you and I are made of. And it affects our judgment. Little or much, it affects. And besides that, while the Scriptures do not say thou shalt not, when you're getting ready to consider, shall I take this or shall I not... Just remember, the Bible doesn't give one or two or three warnings. It gives scores of warnings against drinking wine or strong drink. There's so much going through my head right now. I told you the story of a young deacon who in a small group offered wine to his group. Most of them had wine when he offered it to them, and I talked with him in the hallways of the church then. I said, you know what? I don't think we're going to do that. And he said, why not? I said, because there's someone in your group that you're not aware of that I had counseled and that had just, I picked them up where AA left them off. And AA has done a lot of good over the years, but it leaves them short. Here's how it leaves them short. The scriptures or they declare, they have them announced to themselves on a regular basis, my name is so-and-so, and I am an alcoholic. And I forever will be, is what they're really saying. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, I think it was, and said to some who were drunkards as well as others who had issues, he said to them, such were some of you. Not such are some of you. And I said to him to help a brother overcome what he was. We're not going to put that out in front of him. And he said, well, tell me who it was and I won't offer it to him. And you remember what I said, or at least some of you will. I said back, well, okay, I'll do that. If you give me permission to tell him not to let you use his computer, you've had a problem with porn. He said, I get it. 
I won't offer it anymore. And then I said to him something that I counseled again and again and again. And you can write me an email or corner me in the halls. I don't think I'm arrogant to say I think I probably could have a glass of wine with my bride at a wedding anniversary coming up this summer with some steak at a restaurant. And I probably wouldn't become a drunkard. But I know what Paul wrote, and if you believe that, by the way, we, well, we've never done that and don't plan on doing it. But here's my response to that. Paul wrote to that baby church in Corinth, and he said to them, use your liberty, but if you do it, keep it to yourself. Why? Because others are not free to do what you are free to do, it may well cause them to stumble back into sin or into sin. I've watched Satan destroy family after family after family with wine. And I've determined that's not happening in my house. Why? Because the scriptures warn against it. And I'll throw it to the evil one every time he entices me or encourages me to drink. That's my heart. That's my best understanding. That was a woman led in the Spirit of God who taught her son, whose words are recorded in the Bible, wine can bring you down. It's a fiery dart of the evil one. Amen? Amen. And there's another. It's called women. Not in general, don't get offended, gals. But women who don't understand the capacity they have to bring men down. Moms, you ought to talk from the scriptures with your children, your daughters especially, and dads with your sons. Explain to them the difference. When a young lady says to her mom, I ought to get to wear this, the neckline that plunges low or the skirt line that comes too high. I ought to get to wear this or those clothes that are too tight and leave little to an imagination of a young guy or older guy. Amen, Larry. The battle doesn't get any easier the older you get. I used to think it did. It doesn't to lie the devil himself. And listen up, that gal who says to mom, Mom, it's their sin, not mine. It's on them, not me. The gal who says that hasn't been taught yet that God has wired men and women differently. Women are physically stirred by emotions, by the psychology of relationships. They are easily stirred when a man affirms his devotion to her. A man's a monkey. <laughs> he is stirred by sight. And that teenage gal that says, Mom, 
it's his problem, not mine, doesn't get the way God is wired and Satan has used the way God has wired men. What we see physically stirs. Why is it so quiet in here? Nobody ever talks about that, do they? Just another way of saying, hon, to keep the one God has for you from sinning before you're married and to keep yourself as God has called you for the husband that he has for you in your life. Keep yourself for him. Don't display it for anyone else. It's a good place for a yellow. That's God's plan. And it's a lie of Satan to believe that it's okay to be immodest to display things that stir a man. On the other side of the coin, guys, you're responsible not to look and lust. I had a lady teach me one time. She said, Larry, tell the young men in our church. Ultimately, I knew all the men need to hear it. Teach yourself how to have bouncing eyes. When you see things bouncing in front of you that should not be seen bouncing, look away. That's what Christ had in mind when he said, He who looks on a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery already in his heart. And that is on him for not having bouncing eyes. Had a professor who used to say, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you sure can keep them from nesting in your hair. Some wisdom in that. In this culture, you can't help what you see. It's there all the time. In women who don't understand or don't care. You can't help what you see, but you can keep from doing what David did. He didn't just notice Bathsheba out his window. He looked. Using the word that Christ used, he gazed until his heart was stolen away from the Lord by a fiery dart that Satan put in his face. You with me? It's a fiery dart. Look out for it. Watch out for wealth. The Bible has more to say about money than it does about heaven, hell, or creation. You can't love God and mammon. That's the word for money. Think rich young ruler. My choice is loving God, loving man. Satan puts in front of you the wealth of the world. A job that will pull you away from God even in this economy. Throw back at him his dart. Put the shield up. Throw it back at him. And announce to him, I must love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind. And he has promised if I do that, he'll give me a roof over my head, clothes for my back, and food for my table and for all I'm responsible for. He takes care of me when I seek first the kingdom, not the wealth of the world. It's a fiery dart. I have to take that job, else how can I live? Oh, there are more choices than that. The choice is greater than trusting some job.
to take care of my needs. It's an issue of trusting my Father above. Now you can take those three. I don't have time to divide it for you at length, but let me just throw it at you and you can take it home and chew on it. Wine is all about lust of the flesh. Women, the wrong kind of enticement is all about lust of the eyes. And wealth is all about the pride of life. And anything that Satan throws at you will fall under one of those three categories. And there are key verses you need to look for and lay hold of. And if I could give them to you, but if I did, you won't be saturated with them like you will if you go home and you purpose Today, I'm going home and laying hold of some verses so that when wine and women and wealth or lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and pride of life are hurled at me, I've got something to stand behind and throw back at the evil one and I'll win. That's what it's about. And I would add to those three a fourth because the fourth has to do with how to overcome or failing to overcome the third, the other three W's. And it's this whole idea of wisdom. There is wisdom that comes from God. We hold in our hands the word, the truth. It's our shield. There is wisdom that comes from man. And where does man's wisdom come from? Fallen man's wisdom come from. It begins way back at the garden from the adversary whose wisdom always opposes God's wisdom. Are you with me? And that wisdom, the wisdom of man that issues out of the evil one, is itself the very general wisdom that we live in and are, is thrown at us and it's the dart that comes at us every moment of every day. Every time you read an advertisement on TV or on a billboard, you're reading the wisdom of this world. Every time you open a magazine written by a man who does not know the Lord or a woman who is far from God, you've, they've written things that are absent God's thinking. And it all sounds so good, just like it sounded good to, uh, to Adam and Eve when Satan, the adversary, spoke to them his wisdom in the garden. And here's the great challenge. Throw back! At all that Satan hurls your way, all the wisdom of man, throw back at it the wisdom of God. Your turn. I'm going to give you some ABCs. And beloved, if you didn't get anything else, get these. Because that's how you win in the battle. A. Admit and acknowledge your weakness and your weakness says. Why did I emphasize it that way, singular and plural? Because the author of Hebrews tells us to lay aside every weight. There are many of them that pull us back, many darts to use our Ephesians analogy that Satan knows to throw at us. He's not all-knowing, but he's been around longer than you have. He knows where all your weaknesses are. And then he adds, as he writes the book of Hebrews, and lay aside the sin 
that doth so easily beset. There are all these weaknesses out there, and there's this one weakness. All these darts are thrown at those weaknesses, and the biggest flaming dart is thrown, hurled, fired at your great weakness. And here's what I've learned from counseling, and here's what I've learned because I know Larry. If I could learn to conquer my greatest weakness, the others seem to fall in place and are more easily conquered. You say, you have a great weakness, Larry? Yes, I do. Am I alone? That's the area Satan's most likely to bring me down. You say to me, what is it? I say to you, none of your business. I don't need to know yours. You don't need to know mine. But I do know how, I do need to know how to conquer it. The rest of my life falls in line. And to be a help to you, I've got to grow. By the way, God doesn't expect us to ever, never fail in our weaknesses. Never does he expect that. He does not condemn us for being what we are. He knows what we are. God so condemned the world that he gave his only begotten son. No, God so loved the world. So he loves you. He loves you enough to hear you say to him, I come today to admit I have a big weakness. And could I let you in on a secret? You may as well tell him because he already knows. Right? Admit it. I have a weakness. I admit it. I must believe in the power of the word of God to be my shield against that weakness of mine that Satan's hurling darts. I must know what scripture to lay hold of, to hide behind, so I stop failing. And more than that, I must use that same scripture to hurl at him, to block, not only block the fiery dart, but to bring that down in my life, bring him down so he knows may as well give up there. He's won. You're with me and you get what the shield is all about you're ready to say here's my weakness I admit it and here's the verse that I know is the opposite of what Satan will tell me the next time he throws a dart at me to bring me down in that area and I am ready to throw it at him and then finally just be ready to counter Satan with the water to quench the dark, the fire that he throws your way to bring you down. Be ready to quench it and counter it with the word of God that you placed your faith in. It's not enough to know the faith. You must with fervor activate that faith, throwing it back at the evil one. And I promise you, 
you'll win because God promises you'll win in his strength, wrapped up in his armor. Put it on. Stand with